Hey, hi Max. Hi Vincent. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I thought we could never start today with this rain pouring outside and uh, messing up the sound, so I'm happy we can finally start. Yes, let's go for it. This is Team Time, your weekly Q&A session to building better teams and leadership practices. This series of episodes is part of the Better Teams podcast, hosted by me, Vincent, and Max. Thank you for being here with us. Have a good listening. Not so long ago, we asked our listeners on LinkedIn which topic they would like you and I to tackle in an episode. And by the way, if you're not following us yet and you'd like to participate in the next poll, feel free to follow the Intervals page. Intervals with an E. E-N-T-E-R-V-A-L-S. So here we are. This is the winning topic, the winning question. How to deal with poor performance. And this can be a very difficult issue to handle indeed when you are a manager. And we have it coming back quite often in our coaching sessions. I have a lot of sub-questions on the topic. But before we get into poor or bad performance, I would actually be curious to know how you, Max, understand or define performance. And also what you mean when you talk about high-performing teams. Okay, so well, the first thing, yeah, performance, uh, to me, because you know you can find all kind of definitions online, yeah. but to me, performance is to reach a common goal, the mm -hmm. common goal of the team. If a basketball team, you know, is doing really well as a team but is not winning the game, uh, it's hard to call that team a high-performing team, right? Yeah. So there should be a common goal. Yeah, that's the basic understanding of uh, of performance. You know, reaching that goal together. For me, this is, you know, the global definition of performance, right? Meeting a common goal. But when it comes to a team, to me, to really reach high peak of team performance, the team should be aligned and committed to a common goal, but with healthy practices in place to reach that goal. I think that's key. Yeah. Because uh, even if you win one small victory, you know, it's not going to make you win the championship, right? Mm. If there is no healthy practices in place, you can also get lucky, right? Yeah, that's true. I think when you look at uh, high-performing teams... It has to be a sustainable performance, right? It cannot yeah. be just a one-off. And I think that's the interesting uh, distinction, you know? especially when it's about knowledge work. You know, you cannot just push and pressure a team to be creative, for instance. You know what I mean? Maybe you'll get away with it once, but uh, on the long run, it's not going to work, right? People need to feel committed to the end goal. So if it's a longer term, you know, building a product, uh, delivering a project, something like this, of course, you're going to have to have the healthy practices in place. And that's why I mentioned that as being one of the main component, of course. Yeah, I like that a lot combining high performance and sustainable performance. Okay, let's clear out of the way one big thing first before we dig into how to prevent poor performance to happen. Let's imagine a scenario in which you, as a manager, you are confronted to your team's bad performance at the end of the project. So my question would be, what went wrong? And I mean, what could you have done to see it coming before? And I'm not even talking about preventing it yet from happening, but just to see it coming to see bad performance coming. Okay, so uh, for me, bad performance is not an end result. You know, It's a continuous thing, right? So yeah. if you're a manager and you only notice at the end of the project that the team did not meet the team goal, well, you're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> not so much the team, you know. For me, that's really the first thing, you know. You should be involved, right? If the team has been committing to something, but that something is not uh, what was understood, well, there's a problem, you know. And uh, for me to reach bad performance at the end of the project, the way you the way you mentioned it, to me it means that you didn't meet the goal. So why didn't you 
meet the goal? Why didn't the team meet the goal? Why well, it can be that the goal wasn't clear, or it could be that uh, there was not enough buying within the team. So maybe there wasn't enough buying because there wasn't enough uh, competence. Maybe the resources were not made available to the team to succeed. So it can be all kind of reasons, right? But for sure, this is not something you find out at the end. You need to be constantly involved. And of course, here we are not talking about project management methodologies. Uh, there are many methodologies and uh, well, typically, and, um, if you look at the software industry, the IT industry uh, using Scrum, for instance, I mean, that's continuous involvement, but it's also because we accept from the very beginning that the scope will change. Because when you look at a project, you can very well have a project which is delivered in time on budget and on scope and be a total failure because the end result is not what the customer actually wanted and that's typically what uh, a methodology or framework like scrum prevents because it's a constant um, inspection of whether this we are still delivering value and i think these are interesting moments for a manager to be involved as well and i know that uh, there will be all kind of uh, debate on whether there's a role for the manager in scrum that's uh, <laughs> i don't want to enter that yeah. but whatever your role is if your main uh, responsibility whatever the name of your title is or things like that if your responsibility is to be the person to remove impediment for the team to succeed then you need to be involved you know finding this out at the end this is your failure it's not your team's failure yeah without getting too much into scrum methodology or being religious about it because we are really not we're just curious and open to any uh, good practices could you mention some good ways of being present uh, for your team and keeping in check that the team is still moving towards achieving the goal well Okay, if we don't get into the specific of Scrum, for instance, or any other agile methodology, I would still say organize regular retrospective. Make sure that the goal is still understood. And especially if the goal has changed, and if the environment has changed, make sure that uh, the clarity is still there. Because it's very complicated for a team to commit on something they don't fully understand, because it's not clear, or it, yeah. wasn't, it hasn't been communicated the right way, or uh, maybe it has changed, but it wasn't specified how it changed, you know. And also it's difficult for the team to commit if uh, they cannot really buy into it because it can be very clear but difficult to buy into it because you know the team maybe is missing certain skills maybe they're missing certain resources so as much as they understand what has to be delivered without the proper resources they can't they cannot buy into it so they will never really aim at it you know they will aim at the maybe the best version of it but it will not be it right so make sure that you constantly organize retrospective to see where the team is you know with respect to that goal. And of course, you know, when it comes to having one-on-one -on -one meetings with your team, that's also very important because it's one thing to watch out for the team dynamics and the team goal, but it's also very important to look at the individual. If the individual are not healthy in the team, you got a problem as well, you know. Those are the things I would look at. Mm -hmm. I would also, as a manager, I would say, watch out for conflict, yeah. not to avoid it, because if there is no signs of conflict, then you got a problem as well. If this team is functioning, if this team is a high-performing team moving towards a goal which is understood by everyone, they will have opinions about reaching that goal. And if it's a high-performing team, they will feel safe in sharing those opinions and maybe argue with each other on how to reach that goal. So conflict in that situation, in that scenario, are good, right? If you don't see any conflicts in the discussions, if you see people disengage in meetings, not really confronting each other, then you might be already facing some kind of um, disengagement for the end goal. And if you're disengaged towards the end goal, it's very likely that you're going to miss it, right? Yeah. So these are really the signs that uh, as a project manager, as a manager, 
feature you need to be really careful with and you need to, to watch out for those. And by the way, uh, for listeners out there, we have a lot of other useful episodes on that topic. I mean, we talked about commitment. That's episode two of the podcast, how to strengthen commitment in the team. Uh, when Max is talking about conflict, that's episode six. To facilitate great retrospectives, it's episode four. So you have plenty of interesting things to listen to. You're listening to the Better Teams podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoy it. If you like what Max and I discuss in this podcast, chances are that you will also find value in the training sessions we deliver, both on-site and online. And by the way, I'm really happy to tell you that you can now register to our first-time leading teams training session. This first-time leading teams training is our answer to empower first-time leaders and give them all the tips, the tools and knowledge they need to kickstart or reinforce their journey as a people manager. In each session, spots are limited to six participants to ensure a maximum of interaction and work as close as possible to the participants' management context. Leading team is hard, and doing it for the first time is even harder. It is an amazing experience when you get the proper coaching and support, and that's what we can provide. So don't wait. Check out the upcoming training dates on our website, entevals.com slash events. E-N-T-E-R-V-A-L-S dot com slash events. Now let's go back to our conversation. In terms of team management, what good practices, what good habits would you recommend? Uh, or if you prefer, if I can put it that way, what are the most common dynamics of low performing teams and what to do to improve performance? Yeah, so like I said, a low performing team is typically a team which is less interested in the end goal, you know, which is feeling disengaged towards the team goal. You know, for me, this is kind of the the main definition. And this is, of course, a symptom, right? So you need to understand what's going on. And usually it's there are multiple sources for that, you know, because you can have a team, you know, made of very competent people, uh, willing, you know, like really people who are, who are trying, you know, trying very hard, you know. They want to do a good job, you know, but still they can be a very low-performing team. And your job as a manager is to understand what's going on. So I think the very first thing to look at, you know, when you create a team, huh? assuming that you, you start from scratch or something like that, is to really define a team identity, okay? What's defining us, you know, what are our aspirations, you know? I think that's very interesting, you know, because once you have a kind of an aspirational identity for a team then it's kind of your compass, right? So it's a definition of what the team should be, right? So I think it's very, it's a very interesting thing to define. It's a good exercise to define as well. Where do we want to go as a team, right? Do you do that for the whole team? Do you do that for specific people, team members within the team or do you do both? It's really a team exercise, you know, because then everyone can, can first share, okay, how they perceive that identity. So individually, and then you build that team identity together. So there, there are many ways to do that. I mean, a typical thing that, that we do, that we use, that I use is uh, Lego Series Play, for instance. That's a very good tool for that, actually. So, uh, but that's okay, that's a, that's a separate topic. I think it's very powerful because then you really define, okay, what, what is defining us as a, as a team, right? So that's really the identity of the team. And then you need to look at, okay, what are we trying to achieve, right? Yeah. So here we are looking at a team goal and a team goal can be related to a product, it can be related to a service, it can be related to all kinds of things. And uh, usually it's not something which is uh, defined in isolation, of course. It flows down from a division goal, from a company goal, from a product roadmap, things like that, right? So you need to define that together with the team. And that's where, you know, the sense of clarity and buy-in is very important because this will define how committed your team will be, you know, how individual member can commit to what you're trying to achieve. 
because without this team goal, okay, it's great, you have a team with an identity, but no one knows what they're actually supposed to deliver, right? There is one topic which, of course, happens. You can also have individual members, you know, who are not contributing or are not really in the widening toxicity in the team. That can have really an impact. You know, you can have a, a team where clarity on the goal is is there. The buy-in is there to a certain extent because I think if you have um, a non-functioning team member, but by that I mean like someone who's toxic, right? Not not just someone who doesn't have the skills. You know, because someone without the skills can learn. You know, yeah. if the person is willing, if the person has the good intentions, it's no problem. You know, if the person has a bad behavior, this can really affect the buy-in, right? Because why would the rest of the team commit to a goal if they know that someone in the team is not going to contribute? or someone in the team is going to slow down the team but in an intentional way. That's definitely something which can affect that and which can bring the performance of the team very low. And there, I mean, of course, as a manager, that's uh, your role is there. <laughs> I mean, that's where you need to step in. You cannot let that happen. Like I said, if it's intentional, uh, you know what to do, I would say. <laughs> there is a very big discussion to have with that person, you know. This is beyond improvement plan because when someone is intentional about that kind of behavior, I don't think that person will be genuine about improving. So I think you have to cut your losses, so to speak. But when, when it's not intentional, then you really need to work out uh, an improvement plan with that person. And, uh, and this can be actually a very good experience. You know, we, we hear this very negative aspect of improvement plan. That's the last thing you get before, you know, there is a decision to let you go. But it shouldn't be like this. I think an improvement plan, you know, is a, is a very good way to help a team member rise to the goal, you know, to rise to the occasion. But of course, it has to come with coaching, right? Because, you know, if you just give the feedback, okay, this has to change, this has to change, and this has to change. I mean, yeah, it's like we said in our feedback episode, right? It's like getting a toy car for Christmas without uh, without the batteries, right? The person yeah. cannot do anything with it. So I think when the lack of performance is not intentional, that's not a problem. Because people willing to change, people willing to understand, people willing to work on it, there is always room for these people. When it's really intentional, that's really an issue. And of course, there are reasons behind that. And that's the first thing you need to do to understand those reasons but still it's something that you really need to act upon because if you let this uh, fester in the team as a manager you will lose the buy-in from the team and if you lose the buy-in from the team you lose the commitment towards the common goal and if you lose the commitment towards the common goal then the performance is completely dropping because if you don't reach your goal then what is the purpose of the team right okay it's interesting i mean you said that when someone is toxic in the team so you still want to understand what's going on that's your first move right yeah so understanding why should always be your first move as the manager you know non-judging asking questions and explaining what you've been observing never bring up the um, i would say hearsays right never bring up okay someone in the team said this about you never do that you really need to own your observation it's very very important because if you give that message that someone said something about you and i mean you're just going to destroy the trust in the team you cannot do that as a manager so you need to own your observations you need to ask questions to understand because everyone has a story there's always a reason why someone is acting in a toxic way okay maybe that exists people are are evil (laughs) but uh, I've yet to meet anyone who's purely evil so maybe that makes me very lucky but usually there is a reason so even if someone is extremely toxic in the workplace doesn't want to collaborate is costing the team a lot of energy that could be related to you know fear of losing your job you know someone who's been an expert for a while 
might be afraid of being replaced. So that person doesn't want to share knowledge. Maybe that person doesn't want to contribute because that person wants to be the person you go to to fix an issue. You know, that's kind of a, a sense of job security. So what do you do as a manager? It's very important to explain to this person that you value the expertise, but that you value even more if it fits within a, a knowledge management initiative, for instance, you know, how can we value your knowledge even more in the organization? You know, it can be that. I mean, here it's a very specific case, right? But it happens a lot, especially in technical organizations. You can have someone who's been working there for a while and people think, okay, yeah, this person doesn't want to change and this person is toxic to the team or any new initiative, any new way of working we have in mind and why is it like this? And okay, the manager has to deal with him or her. I think you need to understand why. You need to understand why and make the person understand why because that's very important, you know. You need to help the person understanding what's happening, you know, to get to that root cause. Because sometimes someone is going to be very toxic and they, they don't even notice that, right? So you need to make them understand what's happening. You need to help them understand where this is coming from. And then you need to rebuild that wisdom if they're willing to. But the team also has to be willing. So you need to really facilitate this discussion and this sort of uh, reintroduction back into the team goals and set very clear objective with that person. If yourself as a manager, uh, you need help from a middle person, just bring someone in, you know, bring someone from HR and have a discussion, but uh, you need to deal with it. You need to understand why this is happening. If it's purely on purpose, if it's purely evil, yeah, okay, then uh, I think it's very simple, you know, you need to terminate things, huh? you know, <laughs> even if that person is a top contributor. Because if you let that fester, that's very, very dangerous for your team. So I think performance is really something that you build up with your team, right, as a manager. They are, as you said, uh, different important conditions to really achieve performance can you can we just sum them up well the first thing is to set an you know to define an identity for this team you know to use really a, as an anchor you know where you can always go back to right so the identity of the team build that identity together define a team goal make sure that this goal is clear understood by everyone and that there is proper buy-in and to get the proper buy-in you need to make sure that uh, the team is competent so you need to build that competence by also having the right mix of people and you need to give them the right resources to make it happen and then they will be able to commit to that goal and you will be able to deliver and therefore be recognized as a performing team so you know when you talk about a high performance maybe it's uh, over delivering on that goal you know or being super functioning, I don't know. But I think what you want is to deliver that goal and uh, you want to build that in a sustainable way, which means that uh, it's not a one-off. It's very easy to burn out a team to deliver one project. And after that, you know... <laughs> The team cannot go on anymore. To me, you will never have a one-time high-performing team. If you do that, then you misunderstood your role. I think that's very clear. And again, the best way to keep on learning and keep on improving, at least to me, it's really to organize and facilitate regular retrospectives. That's key, I think, to learn. Absolutely. Okay, I hope this helps. If you don't want to add anything, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Team Time episode of the Better Teams podcast. One last word from me to invite you to go to the YouTube channel simply called Better Teams with Max and Vince. Go check out our videos. There is additional original content there. And remember to subscribe. It's very important. That way you can help our content to reach and help more people. Thanks a lot. I'll be seeing you on YouTube then and in the next episode.